Well, good morning, church. Welcome to the table of the Lord. Like me and my father before me, my younger brother Marcus is probably never going to be described as an intimidating physical presence. In fact, of the three of us, he's probably the skinniest and the smallest. And the only reason I'm telling you this is because in the summer between 6th and 7th grade, this mattered to Marcus more than just about anything else in his life. And it's for a very simple reason. In the state of Oregon, at least at that time, you had to be more than 60 pounds in order to not have to sit in a booster seat. And Marcus had gotten to sixth grade and all of the way through sixth grade, and he still hadn't broken 60 pounds. So he, he was sitting in a booster seat. And, and it had been hard enough to get through sixth grade that way, but as he tried to imagine going into middle school, knowing that my mother was absolutely going to make him follow the rules, he was terrified that some of his friends might catch a glimpse of him hopping down off of what he called a baby car seat, and then trying to have some sort of confidence going into seventh grade. And he knew that if they ever saw him, he had very little chance of escaping some kind of unfortunate nickname for the rest of his school career. And so he talked and talked and talked about trying to break 60 pounds. Because it didn't matter how old you were or how tall you were. It was all about weight. Well, somehow or another, in that summer, he managed to get just barely to 61 pounds. And my family was talking to me about it, and so we, you know, we don't know how he managed to do it, because his entire life, Marcus hasn't really cared all that much about food, and especially back then, they had to do everything they could to get him to finish his meals. I mean, they just had to stay on him, you know, and, and he just didn't seem like he cared all that much, but it, it actually turns out that Marcus figured out how to gain weight by focusing on a very specific kind of food that he's very, very interested in. We just didn't know it. Until 2 a.m. one morning, when my sister Jenny couldn't sleep and she was thirsty, and she went down to the kitchen to get a glass of water, and she heard noise in the darkened kitchen. And so she reached over and quickly threw the, the light switch as fast as she could to see who was there. And there was Marcus sitting at the table in all of his 61 pound glory, well into his third chocolate-covered donut of the evening. She knew this because the box of donuts was brand new before she'd gone to bed and three were missing. And he decided that he only had one survival tactic because it was definitely against the rules on our house to be up at 2 a.m. eating chocolate-covered donuts. And we're not talking about the mini donuts. We're talking full-size adult. He just dropped the donut, put his arms out in front of him, rolled his eyes back into his head, and tried to pretend he was sleep-eating. And to this day, he's never admitted that he was alert or awake, that it was just a mystery that he had somehow gained enough weight to not have to sit in a baby car seat in seventh grade. My family and I, we bring that up every time. We get together for a meal and we're talking about things growing up and and we talk about, you know, those shared family stories that every time somebody tells it, we just all laugh and Marcus still claims his innocence. We, we all have, you know, memories of meals that, that have made a, a lasting impact on us. And honestly, some of those meals 
all joking aside, really can happen in the middle of the night, a midnight snack and a conversation you have with somebody. Other times it's a, it's a special occasion where you go out and you're celebrating something, an anniversary or, or some life milestone. Other times it's those, those familiar family gatherings around the holidays where you know so many people may show up that you can't find enough space at the table and enough chairs for everyone. You know, whatever it is, when we think about those kinds of, of memories that we have from those meals, sometimes the food does make an impression. But it's never really about the food. It, it's about the space the food creates, the meal creates, that allows us to, to experience connections that, that we desire, right? To have conversations that need to take place, to have a sense of of community that we long for. All of us have memories of meals that have made a lasting impact on our lives. And this morning, as we continue to to focus on John's gospel, we're actually going to be reading a conversation that takes place between Jesus and a crowd of followers. And it's a conversation that revolves around food on the surface level. But Jesus, as he does so often throughout John's gospel, he's not just talking about food. He's using food as a metaphor for something that's even more important. And so we're going to read that together now. Now, this is a really long conversation. So if you open up to John chapter 6, we're going to start reading in verse 29. But we're not going to read the entire thing. We're we're going to skip around a little bit so that we have a good grasp of of what they're discussing uh, without reading the entire chapter. But let's start reading together now. Jesus said, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So... They asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In verse 49, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which people may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus has to keep circling in this conversation because They're wrestling with what's actually going on. Now, there is a central question that keeps rising to the surface. Or maybe another way to think about it is it's at the heart of the Gospel of John. It's a question that you can't escape as you read it carefully. And here's the question. Why are these people following Jesus? Right? What what is their motivation? What are their expectations? This chapter 6 conversation is far from the only place where we find this question being raised. Why are these people following Jesus? 
And it turns out that the answer is frustratingly consistent. For the vast majority of Jesus' followers, they, they're there because of something that they think he can do for them. They're following him because of something they believe he can offer them. Right? It's not that reaching Jesus is what they're after. It's that they believe Jesus can help them reach something in addition to him. Something that maybe they've wanted or longed for before he ever showed up in their lives. Right? They, they aren't all that interested, it seems, in, in developing some kind of friendship or relationship with him as much as they're interesting in, interested in witnessing what he's able to do for them. These miraculous signs that he's able to, to perform, that's what they're there for. And they're not just there for the show. They want Jesus to intervene in their lives with that kind of power. Jesus isn't really what they're pursuing. It's what they think Jesus can get them. Now that's uncomfortable to have to see in other people, but John in his gospel wants us to have the courage and the honesty to admit that it's not just these people 2,000 years ago who ended up following Jesus for some mixed motives and some very self-focused expectations, but maybe, brothers and sisters, you and I at times would have to admit, if we're being really honest with ourselves, that Jesus isn't always the goal in our relationship with Christ. It's, it's what we're hoping Jesus is going to give us in addition to himself. You know, you, you get the sense as people interact with Jesus. I mean, they literally say to him, okay, if you want us to believe in the one God sent, if you want us to believe in you, then what sign are you going to show us? What, they literally, what are you going to do? You know, it almost sounds like, what have you done for us lately? And Jesus then enters into this conversation with them. He, he wants to relate to them. He wants them to understand that of all the good things they long for, he's the best good thing. But it takes conversation after conversation to start to chip away at the self-interested reasons that they're there in the first place. And, and it's easy for us to stand in judgment of them, right? To, to be critical of them. But I think we have to admit that, that even in our own lives, right, it, it, it's the fact that Jesus is able, truly, to do some amazing things. And, and then we get focused on what Jesus is able to do more than we're focused on him. In this passage, if you go just a couple of verses earlier in John's gospel, Jesus does two things that they just can't get over. Right? It holds all of their attention. It's distracting them from who he is himself. The two things are are echoes of the story that they understand when it comes to, to how they, they want to interact with God. These stories are foundational in that understanding. Jesus is able to feed this huge crowd of people with bread. In fact, he's able to give them more bread than they could possibly ever eat. And then he turns around and he walks across the rolling surface of a storm-lashed lake like it's nothing. And they know stories that are about bread appearing out of thin air. And they know the story about water and wind and how 
it can become this blessing in disguise where it's a pathway to, to this new life, right? They know where those chapters belong. They belong all the way back in Exodus. And the people ate manna, bread from heaven. And when God used this strong wind to part the Red Sea and they walked across the dry land to this new life of salvation and freedom. And so they, they see Jesus doing that and that's all they can see. They can't actually see him. And you get the sense of all these folks gathered around Jesus in this crowd in John chapter 6. They're kind of elbowing each other and they're saying, you know, he reminds me of Moses. You remember Moses? He was able to do all these amazing things. And there was bread from heaven and there was the, the Red Sea. And, you know, because he was able to do all these amazing things, he had all of these people trusting him and following him. I mean, we just watched Jesus do stuff just like that. What else is he going to be able to do for us? What is going to happen next? And Jesus wants them to understand. I mean, he's clear with them about this, right? That they're, they're on the right track as they focus on the Exodus story. But what they're wrong about is what the Exodus story actually is supposed to mean. What, what the Exodus story is really all about. It's not about Moses. It was never really about Moses. And it wasn't even about what Moses was able to do for the people. The Exodus story is about God. It's a story about how God loves his people and is willing to go to any length to take care of them and provide for them. You know, the, the Exodus story, more than anything else, is about God taking care of his people, not only physically, but especially spiritually. The, the most important nourishment that God gave to his people in the Exodus wasn't the bread that fell from the sky. It was God's unfailing presence. God was their nourishment, more than the food that they ate. That the food was just a physical necessity to keep them alive so that God could then help them experience true life. What's even more important, Jesus says, in the midst of this reorientation of the Exodus story, is that you keep focusing on the fact that God did these things a long time ago, but I am living proof that the Exodus it's happening all over again. That I really am able to give you bread from heaven now. And I really am able to walk across the surface of the lake like it's dry land. And I'm not just doing that to prove to you I can do it. I'm doing it to show you how you can do it. I'm, I'm leading you into this new life of salvation and freedom. He wants to wake them up to the idea that the Exodus isn't some ancient tale that they can share around the campfire. It's it's breaking news that he's there. But they're so focused on what they think he, he might be able to do for them when they demand it. They don't understand that this new story of freedom for everyone is happening in their midst. And yet, there's one more aspect to this that Jesus really wants them understand and it's why he keeps kind of talking and I know as we listen to the conversation it feels a little bit like he's you know talking about it once and then talking about it again and then he's underlining it for a third time he wants them to grasp the reality that he's not like Moses he's not a prophet like Moses he's the God who Moses served Right? He's the God who offers us more than just the best basic necessities of life. 
Brothers and sisters, he offers us himself. But we're so busy looking at all the other things he might be able to offer us that we settle for those other things instead of continuing on to pursue an encounter with him. Jesus wants, more than anything else, to give us himself, to bless us with this unfailing presence. And he wants us to trust that in that encounter with him, we will finally realize that our deepest needs and longings are finally met and fulfilled. That of all the good things we want, he is the best good thing. Right now, we we come up with different names for these longings, don't we? Different terms. The, The need for meaning. The need for purpose, the need to matter, the need to know that we can make a difference. And I want you to to think about what do you call the things that you long for? What, What are you really hungry and thirsty for? More than anything else. You know, is it joy? An indestructible joy? An unending joy? Is it a a soul deep sense of belonging? and a welcome, and embrace? Is it the experience of of totally and completely loving someone and being loved in return? I mean, what is it that you're really hungry and thirsty for more than anything else? And what John wants us to know this morning, or maybe if we've heard it before and we need to be reminded again, what, what John is trying to say to us this morning is that it's always Jesus who in the final analysis is the real source of true life. It's it's Jesus. He's the one who can give us meaning. He's the only one who can bring lasting purpose to our lives. He's the only one who can help us really understand just how much we matter, how much of a difference we can make. Jesus is the one who can fulfill our hunger for a joy that is stronger than the situations we find ourselves in. Jesus is the one who's not just a person, but he's also a kind of place. A place where we always know that we belong. Jesus is the one who... Well, he... He finds time and again a way for us to encounter the reality that more than anything else, we were created to love and be loved. Jesus isn't just able to give us the things we need to stay alive. Jesus is able to help us come alive. Growing up, I always really looked forward to Thanksgiving. Uh, my, My parents always not only invited people over who were in my extended family, but they always also invited people at church who they knew had no, no place else to go. And even as a, a young child, I really enjoyed the experience of having a day where I got to spend time with people who had known me my entire life, and I also got to spend time with people who I'd only met once or twice before. You know, my, my parents would have everyone start to come over around 11 o'clock in the morning. And, and pretty soon our, our kitchen counters would just be covered with all kinds of, of mouth-watering food. And deviled eggs and bacon-wrapped shrimp and fresh vegetables with homemade dips and crackers covered in special cheeses and fudge brownies and chocolate chip cookies and homemade pies. Are you, are you getting hungry yet? There was fresh corn on the cob and green bean casserole and sweet potatoes with marshmallows and brown sugar and mashed potatoes with gravy and warm, freshly baked rolls. 
And my dad had one job, to obsess about and talk about his obsession with what he called the bird, the turkey. And he would check that thing, it felt like every five minutes, which only made it take longer. And then at some point, he would declare to the household that all the conditions were perfect. And it was time for us to eat it, and it was always still dry. But anyway, we would sit down together. And look around the table, and, and my dad would say a prayer. And then we would, for the next hour or so, you know, we'd pass this and that. People would have seconds of some things. If something was really delicious, you, you might even have, you know, a little bit of thirds. But, but more than turkey and cranberry sauce and all the rest of it, we weren't just sharing that meal. We were sharing ourselves. I mean, we, we were talking about our our hopes and dreams. We, we, we talked about how the year had gone so far, and, and people talked about what they hoped the year to come was going to have in store for them. We, we talked about people who weren't able to be there, people who we really missed, and, and we'd share stories about them. We, we talked about, you know, times in our lives of, of struggle, but times when God was faithful to us. We, we always went around and had everybody share what they were thankful for. We, we told jokes, and there were times, you know, we'd have really great storytellers around the table, and so if they told a funny story, we'd be laughing until our sides hurt and, and tears were rolling down our cheeks. And every year at that meal, in that moment, I was reminded of the fact that that there's this amazing thing that can happen where we're family even if we're not all related. And we're at home. Like we come home even if it's not the house we technically grew up in. And and nobody has to say it because everybody knows that, that we don't just belong with one another, but in that moment, in that meal, we know that we somehow belong to one another. That's the kind of spiritual feast that Jesus alone makes possible. It's the kind of spiritual feast we're about to share in together. And I know, I know, brothers and sisters, we're going to have to use our imagination. Especially with these individually prepackaged communion supplies. But that's okay because the, uh, the physical food itself isn't the point. Jesus is the point. Because we aren't, in a minute, going to be feasting on, feasting on some tasteless wafer that is somehow bread and somehow not bread at the same time. Or drinking some kind of scientifically indestructible version of grape juice. We're going to be feasting on the bread of life. And we're going to be drinking in the indestructible source of true life. It, It's going to take our imaginations to see it, brothers and sisters, but I'm telling you, it's the absolute truth. And when it's Jesus you're feasting on, when it's Jesus that you're drinking in, you can be sure of one thing. There's always more than enough. There's always more than enough. Because in a world that can make us afraid, and the world is really, really good at making us afraid that that there's not enough good to go around, Right? That whatever is good in our lives is, is in scarce supply. That it might just run out. But we don't come to this place for any of those things. We come to this place to encounter Jesus. And I promise you, 
No matter how hungry you are, no matter how thirsty you are, there's always more than enough for every single one of us. There's always more than enough. As we eat the bread and drink the cup this morning, I want to give you some space. And I want you to focus on who it is we're really encountering in this place together. And so we're going to be listening to a song that will focus our minds and our hearts on this truth of the bread of life. And so as as we get ready to, to eat and drink and listen, may we open our hearts to the reality of all the good things we long for. The best good thing is Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your son, and we we thank you that of all the things we long for and desire and want, he's, he's not just what we were created for, he's who we were created for. And, and help, help enliven our imaginations in this moment to realize that as we gather in spirit around your table, that it's not that you're present with us in a special way, it's that we're aware of your presence in a special way, and that makes all the difference. Help us embrace Christ the way Christ longs to embrace us, and help that embrace to change us. It's in his name we pray, amen. So this song's going to last about four minutes, just at your own pace. Take the bread and drink the cup.
So we all have memories of meals that made a, a lasting impact on us. And as I told you, growing up, every year it seemed to me that meal was Thanksgiving. Because it was in that moment every year where I realized we were all family, even if we weren't related. And we were all home, even if it wasn't the house we grew up in. And that we didn't just belong with one another, but we belonged to one another. The last time I saw my grandfather was around that Thanksgiving table. I was going to school here at ACU, and I almost never had the opportunity, just couldn't afford to fly home for Thanksgiving and turn around and fly back for, for Christmas. And so I almost never was able to be there. But this one year, I was able to make it. And I, I sat next to my grandfather at that meal. And we, we shared all kinds of stories and, and caught up. And he'd been through a lot. He'd lost my grandmother. He was living alone, and he was struggling with that. And there were times it seemed like his, his sorrow and his sadness would overwhelm him. But on that day, they seemed far away, and he, he was himself. And I remember him telling a particular story that, that really just got to me, and we were both started laughing, and tears started to form in the corners of my eyes. And um, I, can, I can just see him there. And I remember giving him a hug and then getting in a car and getting on a plane and then a few days later getting a phone call to say that he was gone, that he'd passed away. You and I are hungry for more than food. We long for something that can't be baked in bread. And as, as good as some meals are, and there really are meals that are profound blessings, they're just foretastes of this great banquet that is waiting for us. That's why Jesus says over and over, this bread, this bread that is, that's Christ, that if we eat it, we'll live forever. Right? And there's this banquet that's waiting for us. There's, there's a table waiting for us there. A table where we all will be welcome for all of eternity. And, and brothers and sisters, we're going to sit down together at that table. And in that moment, we'll see them. You know, we'll look around at who's there and we'll see them. All the people who we've loved who have gone on before us. And I'll see him, Joseph Wayne Lowry. And he'll be sitting next to his precious wife, my grandmother Thelma. And they'll be young, and they'll be strong, and they'll be whole. And he'll pass me something to eat, and it'll be something that he knows I love. And we'll share stories. Stories that make us smile and, and laugh until our sides hurt and tears of joy run down our faces. And all of us, brothers and sisters, all of us will look around in that moment and we're going to know that even though we're not family, we're family. And that even though we've never been there before, it's home. And that we don't just belong with one another, but we belong to one another. That we will finally and forever belong. 
I am the living bread that comes down from heaven, Jesus says. The one who eats of it will live forever. This is our hope, brothers and sisters. This, this is our Savior. This is our friend. May we never forget it. Because there's going to be days ahead when that hope is going to be the only thing that carries us through. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this table, for this time, for this feast. And we know that you, you're always present, but we're just not always aware of your presence. So in this week, God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, open up our imaginations, help us to see that when we gather around a table with one another, we are always gathering together with you. And that it gives us a taste of how good it will always be when we gather together once again in your kingdom. We pray for that hope. We pray for the strength of that hope to carry us through. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together and let's sing.